some said they couldn't do it. Even more said they probably shouldn't. But here they are, bringing you another episode of the Happy Zen Podcast. Welcome your hosts, Adam and Matt. Okay, we are back with another episode of the Happy Zen Podcast. And we have a very special interview today with Derek Chung. He's the president of Nomnivore Games. And they are the creators of Emberwind, which is a awesome new tabletop RPG. We've had at least, well, now we've had two people that have been involved in the game previously. Uh, Jason Anarchy has done some side story stuff for them. And we had Peter Tchaikovsky, and he is a writer on this game as well. So welcome, Derek. Hi. Yeah. Welcome to me. Thanks for having me. <laughs> Yeah, welcome to you guys too. Yeah, I mean your own show, but yeah, hi. <laughs> yeah, well, it's it's true. We, uh, I gotta ask, Nomnivore Games. Where did that name come from? It's great, by the way. Oh, uh, thank you. Um, it's it's actually a name that goes way back. I used to play a lot of online games, uh, rather competitively. Uh, you know, the whole like guild leader and such on uh, MMOs that you take way too much time on that type of stuff <laughs> yeah and yeah. uh yeah I, I used to hang out with uh my friends there and we were talking about like basically the only thing that we really do other than game is just snack on stuff so we decided hey you know we were the nomnivores and that name kind of stuck because uh, a lot of um kind of the first bits where i started working on Emberwind, or at least the precursor to that was done when I was playing uh, around with those guilds a lot. So that's that's just a small little honoring, I suppose, of the history there. Yeah. Cool. It's catchy. It's a good name. And uh, I love the little logo that goes with it. It's it's good. I'm just in this Nomnosaur? I'll have this conversation lately about branding on, on a lot of different things in my world of work. And so when I saw Matt came with a bag, I'm like, oh, that is really cool. <laughs> it just, it just <laughs> it fit really well. So well done. Well done. Thank you. Uh, there's There's a bit of a secret i guess with those we actually produce a bunch of them like and they all have their own names they all have their own stories and adventures and not only do they go along to conventions with us whenever everyone stops taking up our like entire team's time we are going to be pivoting and launching a children's brand called the numnisaur where they're going to be producing their own little adventure games for kids wow that's awesome it's actually interesting because i just read um with the D and D stuff, they they're announcing that they're going to be doing some D and D books for kids to get them in at a younger age as well. So it's good to see the gaming uh, world is starting to embrace uh, more advanced games, maybe for for younger kids, get them started earlier. Well, you got to start them earlier. If you don't start them early enough, it's it's tough. It's it's yeah. it, it's such a big learning curve too. Because I mean, the depth of these games, and we can get into that with Emberwood. It's it's amazing like how deep you guys go into this thought process to build all this to, to help us build the world so we can you know venture through this with our characters. But if you're like ten to fourteen, and depending on the maturity level of the 14, 15 year old, it's hard. It can be difficult. I mean, not necessarily for Emberwind as much, but when I start thinking about the other tabletop style games and the bigger games that are coming out there now as the trend, it's really hard for them to get in, and so it's almost like a bit of a barrier for them. So. It's nice to hear that your your th- guys are thinking outside of the box a little bit and trying to bring them bring them in earlier, right? Yeah, um, it plugs into a lot of kind of the uh, core philosophies of uh, kind of the Nomnivore company too, which is that we're looking to try and use games as a 
bridge to kind of bring different groups of people together so they can enjoy time, experience things that are meaningful one another, that type of stuff. And last I checked, kids are people too, so I guess they should be allowed to play, you know? Fair enough. And, you know, in theory, the kids, sh- this is fits right in with kids having the, um, the imagination and, and playing, you know, when we were younger, we'd use our imagination to play outside and all that sort of thing. So this is a perfect time for them to carry on that imagination and use it uh, for gaming, where especially tabletop RPGs, where you're using your imagination for a lot of it. When you guys came together, I'm going to take you back a little bit there, I guess, when, when you came back to came together as a company, you know, what was... Aside from that, uh, you mentioned the driving force. So what's the driving force, the driving mission statement that, that brought you together and what you're hoping to achieve? Uh, so that's that's a really interesting, I guess, and long story. <laughs> um, probably the, the shortest way to tell that story is to talk about non for games as kind of an extension of my own personal beliefs. I founded the company um, a couple, probably about like, year and a half, two years ago, um, when I started to get really kind of disillusioned with uh, psychotherapy. Um, I, I've done a lot of work in psychotherapy. I, I've been like classical trained in a really unusual type of psychotherapy, which I can get into a little bit. But um, effectively, and one of the things that I'm very often quoted for saying, and I say all the time, is that the opposite to all kind of the bad mental illness and all the other stuff that's going on in your life that sucks isn't psychotherapy but community and connection and one of the best ways to pull people together is you know gaming and i wanted to create a company that could much better embody the principles of psychotherapy and kind of the thoughts that go into it without requiring that people need to walk into an office and spend 50 minutes in an hour to, you know, tell me about why their relationship with their mother is terrible. (laughs) Because, you know, at the end of the day, it's not about how much you tell me about it and what I uh, ask you and, like, you know, how does that make you feel and so forth. It really comes down to you having a better relationship with your mother. And it's it's funny because this brings up, and I didn't mention it because I knew we'd probably get into it, when I first... uh, ran into Derek. I think it was uh, Toronto fan days, Toronto fan days. That, that's what it was. Um, and he said to me out of the blue, did you know that this game is a therapy game? And I looked at him like, is what, what, how, how did we even get to this? And he explained similar uh, to that story. Like that's, that was what he was going for. And I, that's it. It's, it's sort of like a backdoor therapy, but in a sense, like that's what these games do. They, they are designed when they're done, right. They are designed to bring people together to enjoy themselves, to be relaxed, to be themselves with each other. And I, I think it's great. You guys are just carrying on. Like this is a normal conversation. I'm sitting here with my mind blown a little bit because one, I mean, Matt knew this a little bit, didn't share it with me, which is, I love that. Yeah. Um, and I mean, I really do. I love that. And, and I'm sitting here thinking about this going, this is like such an easy when you the way you just described it it's such a simple way to connect the dots from exactly what you just described and that simple statement you you shared about the idea that it's community and that you know uh, developing those relationships is one of the best ways to deal with you know that not being isolated right not being alone I mean stuck in your own head and that types of thing and I'm sitting here going like total mic drop moment where I feel like that was just really simplistic and holy crap didn't see this at all considering the questions we kind of sent to you and to discuss and we're not even on those questions yet so 
wow, I'm just having a moment. Well, it's like it's a light bulb thing because when you, yeah, when he when it's explained to you, you're like, oh yeah, that that totally makes sense. Why hasn't somebody thought of this before? So it's very uh, ingenious, and it makes me think about the people that have played. I think back to our youth a little bit. So the people who were engaging in tabletop games and whether it was magic, whether it was just whatever it was that you were getting into that sense of community and getting together and doing that as adults, they, they, when I think about them, I think about like us and I think about just friends that, that grew up in that type of sense of community. They have some characteristics about them where they have a sense of self-confidence, not, not arrogance, but self-confidence. They'll get up and if they have to public speak, if they have to engage new people, if they have to go into a, an event to network, they don't have a problem walking around and shaking hands and saying hello. And they don't have that inhibition about what people think and all this stuff because they've lived through a sense of community and they, they've developed relationships and made fools of themselves and been successful and helped others. And, and all those little really important things that you develop growing up, you've, you've done and you've done it through the platform of, of tabletop games or interactive game, whatever it is, like you, you've done that sense. And it's such a neat skill. I, I do a lot of work with kids in my real job, so and and helping them figure out careers. So it, I'm listening to the the holes that exist in that conversation, and I'm thinking to myself, I found a new suggestion for a solution. Go grab a copy of Emberwind yeah. and start getting together with your friends and start challenging your imaginations. Like so, and we haven't even got into the meat of this yet. Okay, let's get into the meat because I'm I'm have my moment now. So. so now, yeah. So you've already blown Adam's doors off. So that's awesome. <laughs> let's just. Cut to the, the basic stuff. What what's the elevator pitch? What would be the the condensed explanation if you had a couple minutes to explain it to somebody who didn't know anything about it, didn't even have a clue, maybe didn't even know tabletop gaming at all? Uh, sure, I can definitely throw that at you. Um, Emberwind is a tabletop role playing game in the loosest sense in that it takes together some of the most important and iconic elements of tabletop role-playing, such as sitting around a table, role-playing out characters, experiencing a story, and all that, and it hybridizes it and modernizes the genre by taking and learning from other advancements in other types of games and mediums that you don't typically see in tabletop gaming. Um, a large amount uh, of what we're trying to do with those tools, such as having um, graphical design elements from board games, uh, narrative-driven storytelling that you typically see in uh, video games like Dragon Age or The Witcher, is to try and create a tabletop uh, RPG experience that doesn't skimp or remove any of the elements in the core uh, gameplay that people are really looking for and enjoy, such as like the immersive, crunchy, fantasy versions of themselves. But we wanted to make it much more accessible to people who've never played that type of thing before. So um, the best way to kind of pitch Emberwind is that it's a game where, and this is going to sound kind of buzzwordy, but effectively it's a game where you can do as much as your imagination will let you but also at a level where what the game asks of you as a player um, is comfortable. You're, you're always going to find a level of comfort in it, and you can scale the difficulty, the challenge, the way that the game plays, and the way that you want to contribute creatively to it based on what you want to do. Cool. And that fits in, like what you mentioned with the therapy, where you're going to have some people who are more expressive than others or some people that are more focused on the numbers maybe than they are the role-playing aspect of it. 
I also noticed in the books, so we've got the uh, the first campaign, uh, Skies of Axia, and it's very, like you mentioned, it's it's guided to the point where you could literally follow it word for word and get through it and still enjoy yourself, but there's a lot of uh, room for role-playing, for expanding, for doing things, for tweaking things a little bit your own way. But it's a very interesting yeah. system, for sure. Thank you. Um, that. That's very much kind of the philosophy behind it all. I, I guess the one-liner, the best way to describe Emberwind in a single sentence, is that it's not supposed to just be people coming to play our game. It's about making this your game and making sure that you play it your way. You mentioned in the the bit of a, a pitch there to us, you mentioned Dragon Age and The Witcher. Are these a um, couple of the primary influencers into the, 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 the genre and the worlds that you developed? And is there any other influencers that maybe played a role or that was just uh, the narrative when you say Dragon Age and Witcher to kind of something that might be a little more popular that people might recognize? Um, it's a bit of both. Uh, definitely Dragon Age and Witcher played some influence in how this was made since Emberwind, like any other game, um, learns from kind of other products out there. But I wouldn't call either of those major influences on it. Um, probably the... Uh, one IP out there that would be the greatest influence on Amberwind is likely um, Guild Wars 1. Okay. I was going to say, like, it, and you mentioned this a little bit, like, there definitely is that um, computer or video game, I don't know, vibe to it. Like, there's, you can definitely see that there is some of that influence. Is there, being that we're Xennials and we're looking at a lot of the retro stuff, um, is there anything from like your your childhood or, or when you were younger that you've maybe uh, taken and put into the game in some form or something you know maybe old movies or or anything like that that maybe also came into the game? Uh, yeah, though it's I, to explain it, I have to kind of draw on a little more of a modern reference. Okay, but um, the elements kind of of kind of the older IPs and everything that have bled into this have come together in a way where it was kind of created the same way that Dark Souls was. I don't know if you know the story behind how Dark Souls was made, but the creator who who put it together, um, when he was like a young Japanese boy, uh, was really enamored with and enjoyed Western um, fantasy. And that's kind of what he grew up with in the same way that a lot of uh, like children here grew up with like Japanese anime and so forth. Right? But... Um, his master of English wasn't that great back then, so he'd understand a couple of the words here or there, flip through, and then not understand a couple pages, and then he'd go and understand a bit more. And what he realized while doing that, especially years later when he had like a better master of English, was that the stories were much more enjoyable and much more fun when you didn't understand it all, when your mind could theorycraft and you could link things up and then in a sense, take ownership of the story in a way because you've interjected your own thoughts about how the world should be. And that philosophy is a part of Amberwind, both just uh, both in like how it's constructed for the players to enjoy now because there are effectively windows into the world where you have to kind of tease out how they're tied together on your own, but also um, in what the influences were that I put into this game too where there were a lot of things in my childhood that i really enjoyed and i can like name drop a couple of them but name dropping kind of those individual things i don't think does as much justice as saying it's kind of the 
amalgam of all those things and how they shaped me that ended up creating kind of this particular world and, and the genre that it is. Cool. That comes back to something that's really important to share to folks too that are listening that maybe are you know, playing on that idea of they maybe want to get into the world of game design, whether it be video game design, uh, crafting stories, crafting the artwork. Um, advice to them would be to go experience, go digest as much as you can to help grow, I guess. Oh, totally. Um, like, there's a lot to be said about intelligent game design, like understanding the core principles, like having a fun 30-second loop, making sure that like that in itself can uh, fool kind of the, the people that, who is playing that when it's reduced its absolute like most critical component, that it's always fun. Uh, there's a lot to say about like smart AI and so forth. But I don't think there's enough uh, people out there who really highlight or talk about how important it is to make... Um, these games not only with intelligence, but with wisdom. And wisdom is something that you only really garner from experiencing the world. Because um, really, like, if you know you pull a trigger in a shooter game, it doing five or four damage is important. It's in fact necessary to to know like how all the game works. But why five versus four damage is meaningful to the player as a person is something that you're only going to find through experiencing other games, other events in your life, just in experiences in general. Um, and that kind of ties a little bit, and I might be jumping ahead here, into um, why Emberwind is a kind of tabletop RPG uh, as opposed to other types of games. It's because we wanted to create something where people... where we, we, we're, we kind of understand that players playing the game aren't just gamers, they're people too. And we want to make sure that they get to experience things that are meaningful, that have lasting impacts on them as people in the long run, you know? Like, it's not just, oh, you know, I, I played like a 20-minute match, cool, that's behind me, and I, I don't care about that anymore. Yeah, and I think definitely, um, like, board games, you're not, you don't have that freedom. Uh, card games, in most cases, I mean, even the fantasy-based ones, you've got a little bit of uh you know, you're using your imagination a little bit. There's a little bit of flexibility there, but it's not like um, a tabletop RPG where, like you said, you can put yourself into it. You can experience how it's how best it is for you. It's not as restricted, I guess, would be flexible level of involvement. Yeah, that's because I just wrote that down. Okay, fair. yeah, because yeah. well, I was kind of looking at uh, one of the things we want to ask you about was. You know, some of the, the goals in creating Emberwind, right? Setting out to do specifically different. And I've just kind of highlighted some of the things you've said. You know, you've commented about it, making sure it's a lasting experience or lasting on people, essentially. You really were focusing on this concept of bringing people together as a community for a game. Uh, the game serves as like a, a vehicle to, to make sure they get together kind of a concept. Um, you know, flexible, we put that flexible level of involvement. And, and back to that whole concept of building your own game your own way by having that ability that people at the table can have different levels of involvement. That, that's kind of what I've capstone so far. Please correct any of that. And, no, and anything, that's all correct. And anything else that we might be missing in that, that you might have set out to do with Emberwind um, to make it a different experience for people? Um, well, one of the things that we haven't talked about, and it's kind of a natural evolution of all things that you've been talking about there, that I think you're quoting me uh, completely correctly there, uh, is the fact that I'm not looking to create 
a game for people to just enjoy. I'm looking to create something that people can like bond, be creative, all that with. And um, in, in that essence, it's about making sure that it's a community of creatives, which is why Amberwin is built in a way that um, at some point, not right now because I honestly can't fund it, but at some point we're supposed to extend um, services out where effectively this is supposed to be one of the first tabletop games that has a Steam Workshop built into it or it's Steam Workshop-esque equivalent where people can create their own content uh, and hopefully even sell it for profit too. It's like an open source. I, I come from IT, so this is my oh yeah, yeah. My, my side of things. So it's it's like an open source uh, to an extent where you give the tools and then the players can put together their own uh, characters and 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 monsters and, and creatures and stories and and all that sort of thing, and then they can repackage it, if, you know, to how they want. And as you said, if if they want to, you know, I guess retail it later. But um, so is it at this point? Is it something you have ready to go, or is it just an outline right now? And when you would get funding, you'd be able to do that. Um, well, it's something that I want to put out. Period, and mm-hmm. it plugs into all the different like online tools, accessories, and so forth that we want to do. Uh, because um, I mean, even though a tabletop game is a tabletop game, we're not in like the '70s anymore, where the internet doesn't exist. Uh, people are getting better at adapting technology. They have virtual tabletop software. A lot of people use tablets instead of actual books now because it's a lot more fun being able to control F something than flip to an index and so forth. So um, we're trying to incorporate all those elements in Emberwind uh, or kind of the skeletal structure of what Emberwind is right now. And in the future, all of these things are things that we're planning on releasing and producing provided that we hit a point where like we've got the liquid capital to get those things out. And this isn't something that like I'm going, at least there are no plans right now to like go to Kickstarter and be like, Hey guys, please give us money to create this stuff. These are things that were intended to be produced uh, right from the get go. Um, But we needed to effectively direct kind of our limited resources to certain projects and we figured kind of the things that people would want first right now was at least a digestible step in which is why you've got this guy's axia book in your hand that's kind of the first step into both the world the system and so forth your uh, your comment by the way about the osr is completely correct right open source uh all that and the reason why um i really think kind of open source is the way to go with this type of stuff is uh well, this it might be an unpopular opinion, but um, I actually believe that one of the greatest lies that game developers perpetuate, especially you know of the tabletop variety, is that you as a player need them. You don't. You you can really make whatever you want when you pick up, uh, let's say, you know, a D and D player's handbook. You're going to look at that, maybe play it that way once or twice, and then immediately start homebrewing rules that fits you and your group. And that's true for every single group out there. That's one of the reasons why I think um, games like Dungeons & Dragons have such mass appeal, because it gives you enough building blocks to start with that you can assemble them in whatever way that you'd like. But there aren't any RPGs out there that straight up reward you for that. Like a DM, you're going to re- create your own campaign. You're going to put all this work into creating this like perfect world for your players. They may go around murder hoboing, killing everything that you put the work into, but um, that shouldn't mean that the rest of the world shouldn't care about that too. And I really wanted to make a way 
or a system that could support those things. And Emberwind is supposed to do all that as well at some point. So I'm, I'm catching something. Um, I'm catching some similar tones of what you're sharing with us um, in, re- in respect to Emberwind and the goals that you, you have for Emberwind that we've heard from some of the other team members that have come on and we've spoken to. And so I'm starting to catch a trend of maybe why you guys are working so well together. And it kind of leads us into that question. We, we kind of threw it to you about, you know, the rest of the team, like how did you guys yeah. come together? And, and I can start to see in those listening, if you go back and listen to it with Peter and Jason, uh, you're going to start catching a trend that you, you can tell these, these guys have a lot in common. I can tell the three guys have a lot in common and I'm sure you have creative differences, but I, I feel like you guys have a, it must be a really cool melting pot when you guys come together to, to brainstorm. It's gotta be, that'd be cool to be a fly on the wall for that. It's a, uh, I mean, while everything you're saying there is true, um, it's actually the creative differences to uh, to why. Like that was the deciding factor why I pulled, for example, Peter on board. Um, one of the other things that is, or at least I've heard, is really different about me as a game creator compared to a lot of the other people out there, is that while I maintain kind of directive control and I make sure like the game is built the way that I like it to be built. I don't in any way do that unilaterally. Um, I will actually sit there and let other people go, hey, you know, um, I drew this cool art piece or I wrote this cool story. And I'll be like, awesome. Let's fit that into the world. Without hesitation. I mean, sometimes like it it may not work. For example, if you want to use the force, I'll be like, hmm, I think Disney's (laughs) going to sue me. But like, like outside of that, yeah. Um, and, and that's one of the reasons why earlier I was saying like this is not supposed to just simply be a game, but a community for creatives because we want this this amazing kind of uh, nugget that Emberwind's built on this Rise engine to effectively let you plug in whatever creative thing you want, and the game engine should be able to take it and output something you can actually interact with. Were there were there times you guys came up against that that idea that that principle like? It, I feel like it might be easier to just blatantly build the walls and put everything in there and keep it somewhat defined to tell people where to go. Oh, yeah, Did, it's totally easier. It's just not what I wanted. Wow. And, and, and was there any moment that you or the team kind of started to think that you're making this too hard on yourselves by doing it this way? Or was Every it... Every day. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, or was it the guiding light? But you kind of beat me to it. Okay, well that's that's it's it's good. So it's it's nice to hear that you had to you had to really hold that conviction. And I mean, listening to uh, what you're sharing with us, I really believe um, that resonates through the game, and it does set set it apart, and it does create that sense. You feel like it's a collaborative, creative thing as you embrace the game, and that is a really cool feeling. You make a nice, deep connection to that. And I like that. I really like that. And I appreciate that. And I just like, it's kind of nice to know it didn't come. Um, it's nice to know it came with a bit of a struggle. I don't know why. It just does. It's. <laughs> uh, I think the other thing that's funny about that is when we had Peter on, he mentioned that. I don't, I don't know if I'm probably paraphrasing, but he basically said Derek was like a mad scientist. And the fact that he loved the ideas that Derek had, but he had no idea how they were going to put them together <laughs> into a game. Yeah. Like he was, he was just blown away by by both ends of that spectrum. That he was like, 
he has like these amazing ideas what he wants to do and i have zero idea how we're going to put that together but that's the i guess the challenge is how to get and being you know it is it's coming from a different place makes it uh that much more unique as well not just a D or pathfinder or whatever clone essentially you're you're coming from a completely different place uh that that people are probably not used to yeah um and I'll, I'll echo that about Peter as well. He has a lot of crazy ideas where as soon as we're like, that's cool, but how would we make that work? <laughs> but like, rather than um, compromising on any of that, there have been times where we've had to. It's about really setting that as the hard goal. And we're like, no, we're going to figure out a way to make this work. And if we can't figure it out, maybe it's time to ask someone else. But like, if we can think of this as something that people want, there's got to be a way to do it, and we're going to make it happen. Because, you know, gamers themselves, people, they, they're not necessarily going to want to compromise, right? Everyone's looking for, really, um, as you jump across different games, experience all of them, the one perpetual thing that uh, you're seeking for is, like, a fun experience that really fits and defines you. And I don't think you're going to find that... Um, really ever from any game because like they're all ultimately like creations that are related to their own time but compromising is definitely not the way to achieve that at least that's that's my um very humble opinion but yeah okay so identifying the idea of you know the initial challenge we've kind of that you guys held on to and didn't compromise from and that was your guiding light your driving force was there any other unforeseen challenges that kind of came along as you guys were going through this process to create this beautiful game a massive crap ton. <laughs> yeah, like where where Maybe would you like you to start? A little bit. Yeah. yeah, I love how that's a definitive measurement now in society too. By the way, yeah. Uh, yeah. Maybe just the a few of the ones that stand out in your yeah, mind. Yeah, some that will live with you forever and and change how you do business, or or maybe things that you learn from, and that you can then teach other people that are building games or or this kind of thing as to what you came up against, and maybe help prepare others if they're uh, in the same boat. Uh, wow. Okay. I've got a very different answer for the first thing to the second (laughs) thing. Um, I'll start with the second one, which is if you're thinking about getting into game design, don't. (laughs) I saw that coming. We've heard that before. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, Sounds very familiar. I don't mean that in like a satirical way. I I do mean that seriously. Um, Game design as a business is a very difficult business to get into. It's also not a very lucrative one unless you hand uh, yourself one of those crazy slam dunks that the entire world picks up on. Like, you know, Minecraft, where... Hey, you sell that to Microsoft for $2 billion. Cool. Yeah, you, right? you made Lego move. I know. Amazing. Yeah. Um, but definitely do it as a hobby. I think it, it's a lot of fun. And uh, I mean, th- that's kind of what happens with, I think, anyone in uh, or have th- that has any experience with gaming. It's that once you play it for a while, you're like, oh, I wonder why they did that. And then that question quickly leads and spirals down and until you've written out like 900 pages of notes about how you're going to make your own crazy game and have no idea how you're going to make it happen. Um, that is very different. And I will say that's, that's, that's the fun part, but that's very different than wrestling with the politics and the financials of creating a game. And that's also one of the things that like we run into a lot as an issue. Um, Emberwind is an extremely ambitious title, and it's something, as we stated several times already, that was built um, on the idea of not compromising. But for people 
or at least to assemble an entire team of people who believe in that, that who, who want to work towards that, who understands that this is not just a job but a passion is extremely difficult. And there are many times, especially for products of this scale and size, where life will throw people curveballs. Even if they want to be passionate about it, they can't. Because, you know, at the end of the day, we all have loved ones. We all have, you know, our own physical health, kids possibly, just things that you need to care about. And um, when that stuff comes up, uh, like I I definitely tell anyone who works for me, like, that is the priority. Go do that. But while that happens, um, when that person is missing, like the the team for Nom is effectively hamstringed, and the ability to produce Emberwind at the rate and the quality uh, that the customers want, um, you you have to kind of give up either or, right? And if we're not going to compromise on quality, then the only thing that's left is really like time or delays, or we hire different people in to try and make that happen, which both um, balloons the budget and also has the whole onboarding problem of trying to make sure that they do care about the project and want to be there and is all passionate and yada yada, as I said earlier. That makes a lot of sense, especially for a team, you know, a smaller team where once everybody's in the rhythm and everybody's not thinking the same, but thinking on the same page, if somebody has to be pulled out of that, to try to stick somebody else into that spot, I can't even imagine. Like, that's got to be it, – it, I would think it would just knock you kind of like right off path. I think the time thing – I would – I'd like to think people would understand, but I know people are people. But I think – I definitely see where – I think if your goal is to not compromise, then the time is definitely where you'd have to – you know, you'd have to sacrifice. I don't, I don't see another way of doing it really. Yeah, and I, I do know that people are very understanding of time. Hell, like people even are fine with like getting their Kickstarter rewards two years late or something, mm, yeah. right? Which you know people are like salty about, but they're like, ah, yeah, uh, okay, that's just the Kickstarter way. Um, but like, it does affect um, like corporate revenues, where most of uh, companies uh, who are in this market they make their revenue on like a yearly basis visiting places like ChenCon, which unfortunately creates a need where if you're going to the same show you have to have new product because people who bought it last year they're not going to buy it again and two years later they may not care about it anymore because it's no longer relevant to their life um so i don't know it's it's this weird thing where like you're constantly struggling to stay relevant which sucks because um it takes a lot of time energy care and effort to make something that really matters uh and I, I don't know if that's necessarily what people are – well, I, I, yes, it's definitely something that people are, are still looking for all the time. But I don't know if people are willing to be patient for it anymore. Okay, so let's let's go to something on the opposite side of the spectrum. Of course, yeah. Along the, along the journey, um, what pleasant surprises hit you that maybe kept spurring you guys along or maybe opened doors or – maybe even sometimes made the project longer, but you still look back as a pleasant surprise. Um, okay. That's, that's an easy one. Um, that we did find out that people were patient. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. T- ties right in. Talk about segue. Right. Well, um, so that is something that's really freaking cool that I didn't realize was going to happen. Um, like I hate social media. I am almost deathly afraid of it. I don't like 
going to those places because like that's that's really where some of the worst of the internet is right unfortunately yes um but one of the really cool things is that we've actually had a really amazing kind of first year the support that people have shown us the patients were like yeah no worries like we want to make sure that you get this right rather than launch it immediately um all those things have been incredible boons to us uh in a way where i think we're really one of the lucky companies although we're small although we're starting out although we're an indie um people are, are willing to have faith in us and let us kind of experiment make mistakes and so forth because you a lot of people don't anymore with game companies. Like, if, I mean, look at uh, how people are treating, you know, EA or like Bethesda with their recent horrible, horrible releases. There's no other word for that, right? Yeah, but very true. But like, they do one thing wrong, and and people are like, oh man, I'm just looking for a reason to hate you. Um, and like, other than possibly like CD Projekt Red and um, Digital Extremes, I don't really know of any other companies that the consumers, the fan base is actually willing to be like, yeah, you know, that's okay if the game you launch is a giant hot mess at the beginning. We know you'll fix it, and we know you'll give us something awesome in the long run. And that's something that I have been extremely thankful for um, because uh, everyone is willing to be... Uh, hell, the, the fan base is, is willing to contribute to our development by being like, hey, you made a typo here, and don't worry, we know you'll get it, but we're just letting you know right now. That's, that's absolutely wonderful. Well, and I was going to point this out. Um, they, you guys have a really uh, interactive uh, way about you that you don't see with, uh, certainly with larger game publishers and creators. Um, you've got forum, like community forums on the website where somebody can ask a question and get an answer from the guy that's creating the game or somebody that's working on that that game. Not a customer service rep, not, not a, you know, somebody in an intermediate of some sort, you guys are the ones answering the questions and you're taking feedback from, uh, from the people playing from the people just checking it out, maybe from just people that are, you know, stopping by your booth at a, at a convention. And I don't think I've ever seen that kind of, uh, response and, and, and accepting of input from a publisher of anything really. Uh, it's something really, I think, unique to the more, independent publishers and i will fully disclose that uh perfect example was today uh derek uh answered a question that i posted on the community forum within i couldn't have been more than a few hours did it from his phone it was oh just, that was you that was me that was me wow. now, i know that sounds like i i was you know messed around but i really wanted to know i just i had a i had a rule question that i wasn't 100 percent clear clear on and i was able to ask the person who created the game Nice. Where, you know, like, it's something, you know, with a game that's been, so if you were to compare to like, again, and it's not really a fair comparison, but if you compare to like D&D, it's been around for decades. So there is so much material online that I can go, uh, Magic the Gathering would be the same thing. If okay. you need a rules question answered, it's been done. Someone's answered it. But with a new game, and I've seen this with board games, if there's a typo or if there's something wrong, it can be hard to find an answer. I have a X-Files game that doesn't work, a board game, because there's a typo in the rule book that took me forever to find somebody that just fixed it themselves because the company didn't bother to, to, to put that up there. 
Whereas with uh, Nomnivore and, and Emberwind, I can go on there and get answers, if not from the creators, from other people that are playing. And it's like fast. It's great. I, I just want to commend you guys on the uh, ability to be reachable like that. That's It's pretty awesome. Thanks. Um, that is a sort of recent development. I mean, that's been a cornerstone of everything, but I just got a phone that can get data in the States, so I'm not completely silent during conventions. But yeah, uh, I'm, I'm glad that you appreciate that level of engagement. Um, I'm I'm a kind of of an opinion, too, and I've mentioned this a little bit kind of in passing as well, but like that I'm, um, I'm someone who understands I'm just a person, and I know that I don't always have the answers to things where like i can very easily make a game system that is complete crap and if that happens it, i need other people to tell me that right and i need to be able to listen to that which is why um the engagement is so high which is why the games uh Emberwind and all that is developed not as an individual product but collaborative because Honestly, it's never going to be the best game it can be if it's not built by everyone. And the community is a part of that everyone. So with all the collaboration and community input over time so far, how how far from the original idea has things ventured in your original kind of goal, theme, plan, however you want to put it, for the game? Have you gone far away from that have you gone in a new direction did you hit something along the way where you guys almost just pivoted and turned Uh, yeah though it depends on like how far back you mean when you say original like the original original draft of Emberwind was way back when like over 10 years ago where i was working on it on myself as a little fun hobby and it wasn't even called Emberwind. it was called dungeons and derek i kid you not (laughs) that's amazing (laughs) and I like, can't at all see a lawsuit coming from that. You'd nope. be fine. Not oh, yeah, of course. <laughs> right. So, um, but way back when, um, when I was working on this kind of little joke system, um, I was playing with with a group of friends. And that group of friends were like the extreme nitty gritty, like power gamer types, right? They wanted to find the exact every sort of build that was going to make and break the game because that's what they enjoyed. And that's the same type of philosophy that you get in like, online MMOs where people are like struggling to find the right meta builds and so forth. And one of the original kind of philosophies that went into uh, me kind of working on this skeleton for that was, hey, instead of trying to fight the same fight that every other company is where they're trying to control all of this meta, why don't I embrace it? Why don't we make a game that you're supposed to kind of come with all these crazy broken imbalance builds but the game will challenge you in a couple of ways to counter your meta all the time as a tabletop game. And everyone was like, what? How are you going to do that? And I did. I successfully did that. And the first rule book was 300 pages long. Wow. Right? <laughs> and that's, that's fine, right? That's normal. You, you can expect power gamers to play that way. Yeah. But I couldn't convince anyone else I knew to play this, even though I really wanted them to, right? So that's kind of that point where I'm like, okay, this game is obviously too complicated. People aren't going to play this, even though I know it's a sick game. How do I fix that? And that was kind of the pivoting point where I quite literally took that rule book and torched it. And the only thing that was left in that, that rule book was 
the nugget, the the simple like microlite part of the engine, which is that one page of rules that you guys see now is the combat rules online. Right. Wow. Yep. And more or less, we preserved a lot of kind of that fun tactical experience. All of those things that the meta, the like adaptive AI, everything, where it will challenge you in that way. But um, it took it took kind of the courage to throw out something I worked on forever to be able to make yes that single sheet of paper. Yep. <laughs> yeah, unreal, man. Like, that's it. That's yes, so our, cool. our listeners can't see it, but I, we have that single sheet of paper, and we're just. Uh... I was showing Adam there. I like the simplicity to go from something that deep to to, to just this and go, okay, now here we go. <laughs> well, it, and really, and it's true. That's gutsy, man. You can That's... take that one sheet of paper and ignore everything else and build around it. Like that's again, that's something that this game and yes, with other games you can add stuff to it, but to have essentially a two sided sheet of paper that can then you can just build off of, that's pretty phenomenal. That's cool. That is cool. Kind of the secret to all this and a lot of the differences about kind of why Ember Wind does kind of the same thing, but in a different way is because, uh, and I think this is the first time I've said it anywhere before, but it, it's because Ember Wind and kind of the Rise engine approaches game design not vertically like most other games do, but laterally. Uh, rather than have things kind of build on top of each other and kind of having you look at, for example, um, okay, I need to know how much damage the spear does, now I need to know how much damage the spear does on a horse, now I need to know how much damage the spear does on like an elephant, and then coming up with all that type of minutia. What we tried to do was condense the game engine into kind of this core nugget that was extremely simple to understand, but was extremely flexible, then allow you to slot in modules to it that would increase kind of, to use an analogy if you think of like a picture, to increase the resolution of the picture so you can like fine tune and get more control without losing kind of the general image that you're going for. And by effectively taking the minutia uh, and taking that out of the game and making that optional, we created effectively like a broad strokes RPG that new players can get into while never alienating the advanced player who wants to see those things. And um, that bleeds into everything, which is why in Emberwind you don't level up, you level sideways, if that makes sense. <laughs> yeah, and there, there's a bunch of other really weird mechanics, too, that I can explain if you're interested, but, like, that's that's like a long tangent. But I think, again, like, and we're repeating some of this information, but I think it is important for people to realize that this game, very much, you can go in not knowing anything about tabletop gaming and like for instance the the first campaign book will walk you through step by step to the point where some of it acts much like a choose your own adventure book where you make a decision and the book says okay you made that decision do this or you made you know the other decision do this and then there are also aspects of it where if you do have an advanced group or maybe you're playing through a second time or what have you there is uh, additional pieces that can be added in for like a hard mode very much again like um we were talking about how this is kind of like a uh, similar in ways to a computer role playing game it's like cranking up the difficulty level so the game the 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 campaign by itself maybe is uh, by default at the easy level but there are aspects to it that you can add to crank that difficulty level up so it means you can go back through and replay at a harder difficulty um and then the aspect of 
playing through the campaign with different types of characters or tweaking the characters, it has a lot of replay value from what I've uh, certainly what I've gone over and seen. Are, are you too familiar with um, the game Divinity at all? Divinity Two Original Sin. I've heard of it. I don't. I haven't played it. It's um, it's like considered one of the greats now, where um, it's effectively a computer RPG uh, that stands up to things like um, you know Skyrim, Morrowind, Baldur's Gate Two, really. Right. Um, and one of the things that they did way better than any like actual D and D game is create a DM mode okay. where you can actually create the whole campaign and so forth. Um, and the DM mode in that game is phenomenal. It's built extremely well. Uh, how there's, if you want to watch it, there's like a YouTube special where like Matt Mercer is running a game through it. But um, effectively, uh, that's kind of where we're trying to get these campaign books to be. They're supposed to be, um, for new players, anyways, a step into this RPG uh, world, right? Not not. Uh, specifically Axia and Emberwind, but like what RPG gaming is like. Right. And we want to make sure that that's as simple and as digestible as possible. At which point the next step up there is asking yourself, oh, you know, it was fun playing it this way, but what if I want to play it as a different character? What if I want to make my own character? We have that too as a module. Or what if I want to create the content? What if I want to make a world? Right? Like there's a lot of people out there who know how to do that, but it's almost like there's two camps. Either you know or you don't, and there's nothing in between. Um, all of our campaign books are written in a way where it will also teach you and educate you on how to tell stories, how to kind of create the world. And um, one of the improvements that we're actually adding to a release to Skies of Axiom, and this will come out as a free uh, upgrade to everyone who has the PDF, is a full storyteller system that uh, will let you figure out kind of what the plot is, who the characters are, almost act like a, as a wiki to the universe. And add in like veteran foes that can learn how uh, people play, a tension mechanic to adjust the story based on how players are, are playing, how well they're performing, um, and even departure points where we have suggested things where like if you don't like the story and you want to go off and do your own thing, you can. And guess what? It'll plug into something cool we've released on the website, which you can use kind of the story threads to start your own adventure. Holy crap. <laughs> well, I think that answers that uh, question we were going to ask later, which is uh, how are you going to uh, continue to support the game and will it be ever evolving? Sounds like absolutely. It sounds like it's going to be like living its own thing. It's yep. going to be its own, its own living entity. Yeah. Emberwind is built to be a kind of live support game where we drop updates every like week to two weeks to it with new content. Um we want to make sure that people are always being able to kind of get invited in to try and experience things. And one of the beautiful things about how the Emberwind world is set up is that it's um, it's not a set-in-stone universe the way that you, you would play, let's say, D&D Pathfinder in most of the standard games where it's like elves are always elves, dwarves are always dwarves, and so forth. Um, because Emberwind is one that exists in time periods. And as you play in kind of our world, depending on the choices you make, it will kind of alter the timeline. You'll end up in a different variation in the world. And in a sense, that can help you kind of soft determine which modules you want to throw in. For example, if you, let's say, go down a particular path uh, where you, for example, discover like something that could count as a new sentient race, that might be a module you want to add to your version of the world. Whereas that's not necessarily something that other people play with. 
Wow, that rabbit hole's got to get really deep. I was just thinking, like, you know, as much as I thought this game had so much, like, I could expand into this game so much, I, I was not even remotely thinking on the level that they're hoping to do. Like, this... That hurt my head. Now, now I think you kind of touched on this. Is there a goal in the future to have uh, player-created, like, some sort of a, a repository online where maybe player-created content will be available, like, that people can upload their stories or, or maybe monsters, characters, that kind of thing? Uh, yeah. Um, right now, we're letting people kind of do whatever. There are already some people doing that on our forums. Mm-hmm. Um, in the future... What I'm hoping to do is effectively create a digital tool that makes doing that really easy for people. And the digital tool should like track those things, save those things to a database, and it'll effectively get put into um, like a in quotes fan archive, where like there's an official archive we can see what we've released, but there should be a second one that's for the fans to kind of put share content with and so forth. And if people want to like tip each other and so forth that's cool too but yeah the point is um there's no way that we're ever going to develop or be as creative as the public so if they want to do those things we should support them not like hamper and c and d them until everyone is just law suited up to the point where no one has any money (laughs) except the lawyers but you know yeah you're you're potentially also creating an environment that um i think would um how can i put it would really foster the concept of people getting their own creativity going and maybe even taking their own leaps into whether they want to create their own tabletop or their own game. I mean, you're you're really talking about building a sense of community that will instill a sense of foundation and confidence and a network actually to find like-minded people as well. Did you think oh. about, did, you, did you think about that? Like, <laughs> you might actually be doing uh, that. There, there's actually a couple secrets there that I mean I can sort of spill oh. too, but. Um, one of the things that we want to do initially was make sure that this game was also an online game, right? We want to be able, people to be able to play this however they enjoyed it, right? Because your friends, maybe they're not near you. We don't want you to lose out on the ability to experience everyone with them. Um, or more importantly, experience each other. Uh, and because of that, when you, you know, pick up a copy of the game book, you also get the digital versions. And uh, we reached out to Roll20 originally. It was like, hey guys, we're a small company. Can you maybe consider giving us official support? And they basically didn't reply so um you know that was expected and for now we've effectively created like a roll 20 asset pack and digital versions of stuff so you can play on roll 20 and co-opt kind of their software but and this is one of the extremely extremely cool things that i'd love to do once we have funding for it i am looking to build my own tabletop software and not only have my own tabletop software i want to plug into like uh, mobile apps, AR tech, and a bunch of other really cool things that I can't say too much more about. But one of the important parts um, of this is that we wanted you to be able to find new people to play with. In in essence, kind of have an RPG matchmaker system. And the really interesting way to make that work, uh, rather than have you you know kind of LFG it yourself is by allowing players to opt into effect, effectively like an intelligent system that will track the decisions you make while playing in our campaigns. Because in doing that, it will effectively 
give us like a rough idea of what type of role player you are, and we should be able to find groups that role play in similar ways. So you can find cool, like-minded friends. Wow. Um, yeah, that has a lot more to do with like psychology and kind of my background in research and stats. But like, those are things that I'd like to do. They're dreams right now, but they everyone's built to have the capacity to do those things as well in the future. Wow. The 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 crossover. Again, from being a, a computer gaming kid and that kind of thing, like you and I used to make like uh, levels and stuff for like Duke Nukem and, and like, and then later on, like for um, Neverwinter Nights, you could make your own um, games basically out of that. The online world of making your own content and then sharing that with other people, not only does it help you guys because people then continue to have content even while you guys are busy working on another piece of the, the project, but there's, it, it seems like you guys are, really blending the world of of like a computer game and a and a tabletop game not so much that it has to be blended but it's there if you want it like there's so many aspects from that game computer gaming and, and console gaming world that you're applying to tabletop games that i don't think i certainly haven't really seen it to that uh, degree well um yeah that was one of the goals i set out with right i wanted to make sure that we learned from different types of genres different types of advancements and other things because honestly tabletop gaming um i think is uh i mean statistics kind of verify it but it's in a bit of a boom right now but regardless of you know whether people think it's cool and whether they go to conventions and play games with family and so forth it's the games themselves aren't necessarily learning all that much board games are and you can look at how board games are becoming um like over time there, there are whole charts about this where they're getting more complex but they're kind of coming up with ways to do it to make it more accessible to players too rpgs not so much rpgs i feel like have been played the exact same way since they first came out uh, sure the universe changes a bit sure how you decide like whether something works or not changes a little bit but it doesn't really kind of shake up the mold much more than that and yeah you know Emberwind is is looking to you know ask the question do role-playing games have to always be experienced the same way i'm saying no they do not well <laughs> i, I want to actually just take a, a little bit of a turn um one of my affinities to comics growing up was the artwork it was always something that even if it was a crap story, which sometimes you were dealt issues that you were so excited to go pick up the issue from the stand, now aging myself, um, and then look at it. And I mean, the artwork was always captivating, I found, for the majority of the time. Uh, but if the story sucked, I still kind of got by with the artwork. And so I, that's my little background into how much I really appreciate that kind of stuff. And the artwork inside of this is like second to none. Like it is, is fantastic. Did that... Like, going, did you have to go like a really deep dive and go hunting to find the right fit for what you were envisioning, or was there a little bit of happenstance and luck? Uh, tell us the story of how you ended up with whoever was doing this artwork, and how did you get them to do this? Uh, it's a bit of all of the above, I suppose. Uh, the main artists for the Skies of Axia book specifically, and some of the artwork that you see for the core book, uh, they're from a studio called Crush Visual. And Crush Visual is a Toronto-based uh, boutique studio that basically works on a lot of larger-scale projects that, like, literally, like every AAA thing you've ever heard of, they've had their hand in. Um, 
But the interesting thing is uh, who uh, ran kind of Crush Visual. And um, kind of a part of their all-star team included uh, a lot of uh, kind of friends of friends of mine that work there. Because I'm actually, I've been associated, I should say, with like the artist alleys at conventions for over like a decade. A lot of people um, there are friends of mine and they kind of you know put their artwork out and do all that and that that's fun and great and all uh or they kind of go into industry and work that way um i i basically had this like brand new idea for a game this this really cool new system that needed um really top tier artwork and it needed top tier artwork not because i wanted to kind of set it apart with the artwork but because of accessibility reasons a lot of people like you're saying um, kids, they get into comics a lot easier than they get into reading like full novels because the art helps support that. And I didn't want to go with a standard studio. I didn't want to go with like a standard collection of artists that you know know how to draw a goblin like twenty different ways. You you know what goblins look like. What I wanted was to find um, a group that specifically worked in film and cinematics. Which is why the artwork that's done for Amber Wind actually has that cinematic feel. It does. It really does. I love that, yeah. by the way. It, it helps pull people in. And the pictures themselves are capable of telling stories without you having to read the words that accompany it. And um, that, that's kind of why I, I went with Crush. And I was lucky enough that um, Joe, who uh, who's their CEO, um, kind of was enamored with this vision with the creativity and the fact that unlike all their other jobs where they're handed like a million briefs and told like, this is what you have to do. Um, the kind of core nugget of everyone is that it can adapt, right? It can basically let you create whatever you want and the world will take it. So there is, um, a, several art pieces, for example, like the sunlight and sky art piece that's available on our website that has absolutely no context that didn't come from a brief that their artists just did because they were having fun with the project and we found a way to deploy it and the story came after the art and is now wrapped into the entire narrative for the world um that's like the yeah. that's like your writers are adding are throwing pieces in you're incorporating them in so then also the artists are there everyone it seems like everybody that's a part of it is getting an equal shot to contribute to the world of the game which is awesome yeah. Um, beyond that, and this is kind of where um, we're moving into, we have like a second wave of artists joining us. Right now, the person directing the artwork is uh, a man by the name Toma Faizo Gas, and he is a absolutely phenomenal artist working uh, from Ottawa. And he's had a extremely kind of um, passionate interest, I, I guess would be the right way of putting it, in tabletop games, but he's never had a chance to really do very much in it so he's looking to kind of break into there and we thought hey you know why not work together and along with him now we have a new team of artists um who are all graduates from a this is going to sound weird but like an indie art school from uh, toronto called talent tree and talent tree is actually the teaching branch and other half of crush studios so what we effectively wanted to do was make Emberwind not only this cool project that gamers got a lot of 
but we want to make sure creators got a lot out of it too, and that includes the staff. So we're hoping to kind of utilize Amberwin as a way for new artists to get a foot in the door and establish a name for themselves in the industry. This game does everything for everybody. I'm just getting why Peter called you a mad scientist. I'm really <laughs> getting it now. Like, you don't know the word no, do you? Like, at all. Someone comes I, up I mean, with a concept please, or an idea. Please don't make me sound like a rapist. No, God, no. <laughs> What, what I ambition, mean, ambition. Yeah. Lots like, of ambition. But what I'm getting at is like, if it feels like, um, there's a couple of comments I want to say here, but one of them, it just feels like when someone comes to you with something as an idea, it's you, you literally probably just, I'm envisioning this is an action. Like you just put down or stop hitting your mechanical keyboard for a moment. You turn, you take in what's being said. You have the conversation, you exchange the dialogue, you play with the idea a little bit. And then as opposed to dismissing it, like the majority of the population, you're turning back to your mechanical keyboard to, to like start hitting backspace and start inserting the conversation you just had. And it doesn't even matter what that conversation is. You're finding a way to just add it to this, this living, breathing thing. It's like that, improv. He's yes anding. Everything is yes and. There's no no's. It's yes and we'll find a spot for it. Or yes, this will fit right here. Like it's that's that's. Yeah. I mean, it's so commendable. It really, truly is commendable because it it would be so much easier to say no. Yeah. No. Uh, thanks for saying all that. Everything was right there except that you thought I'd ever stop typing because that doesn't happen. <laughs> except. Except just for this interview. This is a sacrifice I'm making for you guys. Uh, I, we feel pretty special right now. Yes. Listening to all this, it must be killing you. <laughs> so we really appreciate that. <laughs> but there's something else I'm catching as a bit of a tone. Is um, it, As I talk about this being a living, breathing, almost entity, um, I really, really feel like it's like an extension of you. The more I'm listening to you talk and I'm listening about your interactions and I'm listening about the goals that continue to evolve and the rationale behind the goals. If you're listening to these goals, listening to these objectives, they're always about people. All of this is about people. Everything is not, is not, it, most of it is not selfish, I should say. There's nothing, nothing self, selfish about this. It's, it's really about building each other. Right back to that core principle you launched on Nomnivore, but that conversation around community. And it really feels like it's an extension of you. Has this been a big part of you and what, I mean, I guess when we talk about, we didn't dig into it just yet, but um, your your professional background, your, like what you went to school for, like what you started, you start briefly, briefly at the beginning, you mentioned the whole, the psychotherapy piece. Like, it seems like it's in your DNA to help people. I mean, uh... Like, I'm not gonna deny that because, <laughs> like, that'll make me sound like a terrible person, but... <laughs> At the same time, um, like oh, uh, I, I won't quite so aggressively say like I hate this, but when people you know get into psychotherapy and they're like you know I I'm here because I want to help people like cool, but you can also just do that at McDonald's by handing someone a burger with a smile on your face, right? So um, really, like the my my belief in things. It, like help doesn't necessarily come from your your occupation. It's really people helping people, right? And um, this is something that makes me kind of not so popular in uh, kind of my professional world. But um, I'm often also quoted for effectively telling um, like other psychotherapists, psychologists to stuff it. <laughs> I knew it was um, coming. I could just tell. Yeah. <laughs> 
And the reason for that is because you can go to school for a ton of years. You can learn everything there is to know about whatever. But if whatever you've learned isn't helping you connect with and understand the person in front of you more, and in fact could possibly be getting in the way of that, then are you really helping anyone? Or are you really just helping your ego? And that's kind of the, the main point and one of the reasons why I hate psychotherapy as a whole. Um, it's not that it can't help people. It's not that there aren't a lot of advancements that are really beneficial. It's because it tries, I think, honestly, too hard to be a science rather than an art. The Almost all kind of diagnosis, almost all type of treatment it requires diagnosis and it's done off of the DSM, uh, I think five we're on now, um, where it's effectively a, a checklist where I need to know whether you have this symptom, that thing and so forth. If you exhibit three or four th things or whatever, you're suffering from this. And now you have to, according to, you know, my modality, go through this checklist of things to fix that. And there you go. Like I'm, I'm oversimplifying it. And a lot of therapists don't do that. A lot of therapists are very human. They interact and care about uh, kind of their clients. But the interesting thing, and this is one of the things that a lot of people who aren't in psychology don't know about, meta-analyses have been done across every single therapy style. And they found that it doesn't matter what style you practice, or effectively all the intelligent, cool stuff that you learned in school, none of it matters. The only thing that predicts whether you have a, uh, like a recovery or better um, kind of end state for the client is the relationship you have with the therapist. Right? Sorry, that just kills me. I just, I loved it. I, I, there's just, I, I wrestle with this um, on just so many different levels, but I mean, just put it as simple as I possibly can is that, you know, we are, we are just people. We really are just people and things are way more simpler than we ever want to accept and that's a reality. And, and, you know, our number one priority really is just giving a crap about each other. That kind of should just be our number one goal. Yeah, and then we give, simply it, don't be a dick. Yeah. It really is that simple. Like, I, I would, I have a, a, two kids, you know, my, my one's turning 13 and my one's turning 11. And, you know, the, the most life lessons I try to give to them is just that exact mantra. I'm a little bit better with the PG version of it right now, but <laughs> as they're getting older, it's turning into like, just don't be a dick to people. It's not that hard. And it doesn't. It hurt seems you. hard for a lot of people. I don't know why. <sighs> it doesn't. How hard is it? Like you, the, the analogy you said about serving a hamburger with a smile. Like, I mean, I love being so polite to people. Like, not like sickening polite, where they're like, "What the hell's wrong with that guy?" But when you're when you're like, you just say thank you to somebody, or I love the one when you ask like uh, someone for customer service. You're like, "Hey, how's your day going?" Like they they nearly shit their pants because they don't know what like holy crap you, I'm a human being to you like, yeah you are especially if you mean that genuinely too yeah, right like, like hey, they have no idea what to do with it yeah. yeah how's your day going hey that guy was a dickhead right before me wasn't he like <laughs> I, I I I most of my job is on the road so I, I deal with people that work in the customer service industry a lot and so I get to watch humans and. Humans are such a unique creature. <laughs> I mean, animals not nearly as much of an asshole as a human is. Uh, for most other species, we're, we're we're the worst. And watching that interaction, we're the worst to each other too. Like it's just ridiculous. And watching that, so I've, I've had many many a time where I follow up to someone, and whether it be a waitress, a waiter, a, a front desk staff at a hotel, I always walk up with a smile, and they have that moment where they're trying to they're trying to reset. Like, okay, another customer. 
don't be a dick. You, you know, you can hear the things in their head, right? And I'll always open up with, wow, that was a major asshole. And then they just break, like, thank you. Thank you. Like, I needed that. I'm like, yeah, I know you yeah. can't say it, but I'll say it for you. So don't worry about it. All right. Yeah, it's, uh, but anyways, I appreciate all that, Derek. That's a good I mean, lesson. That's a good lesson. It's, well, it's I, I a simple lesson, but it's a good one. But listen, what I'm getting at in a really, really, really long winded way here, I'm getting at you, you, you instilling all that into Emberwind in an omnivore. I think when you commented about the surprising piece of patience, I mean, I'm sure you recognize that the reason that patience is coming from that community, I think, is because all this is being embodied together through Emberwind and Omnivore and all those pieces coming together. So when you say, when we talk about it being a living, a living product that's evolving and expanding, we talk about that piece from the game structure. I also think there's a, there's an element of uh, personality in there and people appreciate that personality and they like what it is. And I think they uh, respect it. And that's probably where you're getting this patience and growth from. And, you know, you have a, a really, um, deep founded group here coming with that game, growing with the game and, and the company and what you're doing. So you can see all that from an outside perspective. And I'm just saying it out loud. I just hope other people are seeing it as well. And I really hope you're seeing it. Um, yeah, no, I definitely, I definitely do see it and I definitely do appreciate it though. Like it's, it's never something I see, um, like reflected upon, uh, my own work like when the game's staring at me, or even if I kind of look at myself, it's something that I see in how, other people interact with it, both the people who are working on the game and trust and believe in it, as well as the players who have given kind of their faith to it. And they're saying, hey, like, we'll be patient. We know this is going to be amazing at some point, even if, you know, it's not quite there yet now. And we're going to stick with it uh, until the end and even help you out with it along the way. And I'm going to guarantee anyone listening to this episode, you had no idea shit was going to get this deep. That's right. This got really, uh, really deep for for what what seemed on the surface not so deep. Well, we don't do deep, so this was pretty cool. <laughs> oh, this is this is like my bread and butter. I'm, I'm like usually way more deep than this. I actually have to dumb it down a lot of the time because I'm like, oh wait, no one else gives a shit. I gotta I gotta talk a little bit more, you know, colloquially. But yeah. That's okay. That's like an unofficial motto of this podcast: is just dumb it down. I think. Real. Oh, sorry. Don't spit your water. Up. Um. So obviously the reception for the game has been quite good. You guys just had a recent Kickstarter campaign, uh, kickstarted a couple new books and some, uh, I think some other stuff there. Do you want to talk about that and what you guys have coming up uh, or what you're working on now? Sure. Um, so we had a phenomenal Kickstarter. I honestly didn't believe we would get as much support from the public as we did, especially because we got literally no support from Kickstarter. Oh, um, yeah. They were like, eh, you know, whatever here's your project, I guess. Like some of the search fields weren't even pulling up the game once in a while. So oh, that's terrible. Yeah, it, it's, it's all right. But like, I'll, I'll go to like shows showing off this game. They're like, what? It was on Kickstarter. I was on Kickstarter every day. How did I miss this? And I'm like, eh, but anyways, the, the point is it was still like a absolute glowing success. And because of that, we have a metric crap ton of things as we mentioned earlier to, yep. to release. It's official uh, term. Yeah. And there is a, Honestly, um, as kind of each stretch goal broke through, I was all like, "Woo!" And also, "Oh shit, how am I going to do that?" But um, we're we're definitely pushing through it. We're working like around the clock. I work like close to sixteen, twenty hours a day to try and keep up. But um, we've got an enhanced edition of Skies coming out, and this is a free upgrade to anyone who's already supported us uh, because. 
you know, all their PDFs are done in a lifetime format so that you always get the most awesome version of it if you want to have it. Um, along with it, we are going to also be releasing the second campaign, The Songweave Tapestry, which is written in an interesting way. A lot of people were asking for the sequel's disguise, but no, you don't get that so easy. Um, Songweave is a parallel story that happens at the exact same time period that Skies does, which chronicles and follows four other heroes, and the events that happen in Songweave will, in fact, affect the sequel's disguise and vice versa. Ooh. And that's why we're releasing that as a second campaign rather than a sequel. Because, you know, life isn't complicated enough, apparently. <laughs> no. Uh, now, is Peter writing that one or helping to write that one? Uh, so that is the fun part. Peter is actually the lead on that. I am trying to stay as far from that story as possible since, you know, Skies is my baby. And, again, the entire story uh, for Amberwind here is that we want it to be a collaborative process. So it's a lot more fun letting him kind of just take the reins and do whatever he hell, the hell he wants yeah. and then trying to you know like as a mad scientist would frankenstein together a monster by stitching story threads until we get this really cool thing right on and uh there was also uh, a hero well i'm not sure what the wording was is a hero guide or hero manual what, what's the yeah you know we're not quite sure what the wording is too because like it doesn't everyone doesn't neatly break into all the terms that people are familiar with like when someone asks me you know Hey, do you have a core book for your rules? And I, I just shrug at them, and they're like, "What do you mean by that?" And I, I'm like, "I don't know what I mean by that." But, um, anyways, the the core hero manual, and the reason why we call it a core manual is because it's the most similar thing to a like PHB that we have. It lets you create your own custom characters, um, and that's all it is. Um, I prefer to think of it as a module because you can technically play this game without custom characters, um, and it's not requires in the same way a core book is um but yeah you know other other people are like no that that's a core book and i'm like okay if you call it a core book i guess it's a core book fine we'll put it there yeah. on the, on the title but i guess the idea being that it it gives more replayability because those who want to create their own character is it just uh for the heroes that book or will it be for yeah. anything else yeah it's just for heroes uh monsters um we'll be releasing as soon as we get through this next slew of releases for the kickstarter um, as a digital tool, you can create whatever you want. And um, the one thing that's absolutely most requested that we will... I have I can't even think about it yet, is the storytelling manual that gives you all the notes to what Axia is all about. Right. And the reason why I don't know if we can release one, um, not even like in the future, but like if ever, is because with how the world is built, with how it evolves... The archive pieces and those little snippets of stories, I think, is a much better medium for experiencing what Axia is. And those archive pieces really should be kind of linked together in almost like a searchable wiki or database online where you kind of chain together things you want, figure out where the holes are, kind of like what I was saying earlier with Dark Souls, and fill that in yourself. And that's how you kind of create your own story and content, right? And that's effectively... Um, one of the things that we're thinking about, but we also don't want to give up the print medium because like everyone likes having books and so forth. So we want to make sure that that's possible too. Um, so yeah, we, we don't know about that one yet, uh, but that doesn't mean we, we've completely stopped giving people things, which is why you know we update the game every like two weeks with uh, new content on the website. There are archive releases to make sure that there's more world for you to bite into all the time. 
And do we have a rough estimate when the Kickstarter books are to be released? Sort of. Um, I mean, like we're currently working toward things. The date that we said uh, we would be completing the Kickstarter is June this year. Um, At the current point, I think we're, I'm optimistic anyways, I'd like to say. I'm optimistic that we should have a enhanced edition of Skies done in about two weeks from now. And as soon as that's done, we'll be distributing the PDFs to everyone. The print versions will come later, uh, simply because it takes time to make those and ship those and so forth. Um, Songweave will be following that in the next month or two uh, is the current timeline. Uh, And then the Hero Manual will come after that as well. We're very much hoping to have the Hero Manual be completely finished and everything by June. Um, Barring any sort of major kind of screw-ups on our part when it comes to game balance, but uh, we will be releasing pieces of the Hero Manual as it's complete in its beta state, so everyone can get to try and play it and enjoy it all the way through, so you're not just sitting and twiddling your thumbs until you actually get the book in the mail. I I think you guys have things so well covered, I don't even, I mean, this... I I can't even, I can't put words together. Like, there's so much going on, or at least there's so much future plans and projects for this game it's certainly not making me regret putting my you know getting my toes in the water for this game and from a guy who like i don't i've never really well i shouldn't say that i think i've played like one D game i've not done the tabletop rpg this is going to be the one that i get into and i cannot wait to play it like it everything about it is awesome i love that it's local well canadian mostly uh creators uh, it's this independent creator scene that we're certainly stumbling into with a lot of our guests. And like you mentioned before, the artist alley, you meet a lot of interesting people that are that are in that. Where can people see you next? You, you guys do a lot of conventions. I know you're busy a lot this month. Um, well, uh, if you want to see me, see me. I'm sometimes found like stumbling around all confused in Scarborough. But um, outside of that, don't advertise that. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Outside of that, I think the next show that I'm going to be at will be Breakout, um, which is hosted downtown Toronto, kind of the same week as March Toronto Comic Con. And if you've never been to Breakout, it's a very cool, like close knit tabletop community that's extremely welcoming of everyone. And uh, it's not quite across the street, but it's like a 10 minute walk from the March Toronto Comic Con. So if you want to swing by, check things out, listen in on like cool seminars on game design or play new demos of new stuff that's being prototyped. Like it is a fantastic show to go to. Um, I think I want to say the week after that, uh, I'll be in Victoria, BC for a new show um, called Capital City Comic Con while Toma, uh, the art director can be found at um, Ottawa Geek Market. Nice. I, yeah. I, I gotta. I, I hope I know the answer to this, but I'm going to ask it anyways. With all this going on with Nomnivore uh, and Emberwind right now, are you, are you got anything else cooking in the background, or is this the focus right now? This is definitely the focus. Good. I'm glad that's the answer, actually, to be honest yeah. with you, because I was looking at myself going, my God, this guy's going to be like in the verge of a breakdown if he's trying to do something else at the same time. So I'm glad. Good. I mean, there are other things uh, <laughs> that have completely 
entirely come to a standstill right now because Emberwind and the Kickstarter and everyone who backed us, that deserves all the respect that we can give and all the time and attention we can give. But once that's through, you know it. <laughs> I, the creative juices, right? They just don't stop, right? A mad scientist has an entire lab. That means they're working on one project, but there's stuff cooking in the background. I just, I had a feeling. Well, and I went to the Nomnivore uh, website and I saw a, a tab that said games plural. And I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. Thankfully, when I went there, it was just Emberwind. But I was like, there's no way. So it sounds like, you know, in the oh, future, something to watch for. After listening to this interview, there's a way. It's just he does, not- <laughs> no sleep. That's yeah, it. That's it. I guess all work and no sleep. You know, we uh, we know a really great coffee shop and they've got some fantastic blends <laughs> and uh, we can maybe try to get you guys to connect with each other and you just can go 24 hours a day, seven days a week for a while if you need to. That sounds amazing, but like <laughs> I have almost a hypersensitive uh, sensitivity to caffeine. If I drink like a cup of coffee, I'm usually up and jittering for like 30 hours nonstop. So that saves a lot of money. Could be a, sol- it could be a solution here. <laughs> Hey, I mean, who says I'm not already? He slept a week ago. Uh, Okay, well, we don't keep you too much longer. I guess, um, where can people find more information about everything that you're doing? I mean, we've talked a little bit about uh, some of it, but if you want to, you know, yeah, tell everybody where to go. Throw your plugs. Uh, So um, the best place to find us uh, out about kind of Emberwind and all that cool stuff is at the URL www.emberwindgame.com. If you want to check out kind of us on the corporate side, because we also help out with other people's manufacturing and game design and things like that, you you come check us out at nomnivoregames.com. Uh, and if you want to check out kind of our social feeds, basically at nomnivoregames is our handle on all the social medias. Uh, and I think that's right. I don't know because like <laughs> I know nothing about social media and I like to keep it that way. Well, we'll make sure that the proper links are uh, in the show notes for, for the episode anyways, just in case. Well, great. Thank you. <laughs> guys are the best. You got anything else to... No, uh, other than like, thank you for not only coming on as a guest, but just being such an open book. You're being so open about Emberwind, the process, yourself, what's been invested into this game, Nomnivore games, the whole messaging and the mission and everything like that. Thanks for being so uh, so straightforward and open with all that. It doesn't seem like it's outside of your character, but it was much appreciated. Yeah, and we should point out too, and we mentioned this to uh, to Peter as well, so we should probably give you the same props. This book, and again, we'll have we've had pictures on the social media and stuff before, but and we said this to Peter as well. Like this is a book that the 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 skies of Axia book is something that you would see on a shelf of chapters or something like that. Like it does, it looks so professional, so well done you would have no idea that this was like essentially a first product uh, from a, from an independent company. Like, so kudos to you guys. It, it It's amazing. It looks fantastic and, you know, looks aren't everything, but as we said, that can get people into the game. So uh, yeah, it just congratulations on everything and it's going great. And uh, I bought into the Kickstarter for the next two books. So I can't wait to, uh, to get those as well. Awesome. Well, that sounds uh, great. And uh, you know, make sure you look forward to the enhanced edition of Skies 2 that will find its way into your uh, PDF account very soon for Amber 1. Sweet. Well, right on. Okay, well, thank you very much, uh, Derek. And uh, if anybody has any questions, as I said, we'll post all the links for all of the Emberwind and Omnivore uh, social media and website on our show notes as well. Yeah, thanks, Derek. And keep kicking ass, man. That's awesome. Thanks. Yeah, well, thank you guys for having me. What I loved about that interview, and that's something I like to try to do a lot of, he, 
I've never had that experience before where I was able to ask a question and all of a sudden he uncovered something that we hadn't discussed before. Mm-hmm. So he, it's like either he had hidden gems he was waiting just to see if we would unearth them. But however it worked out, we found them. And there was things that right, right at the beginning of that podcast, we, you know, that interview, we asked a couple of questions and just kind of went, whoa, down a path that we didn't even see coming. Not at all. I mean, we had stuff prepped, which was great. Um, I actually had notes this time, which was even better that you brought. And, you know, he had that stuff ahead of time. So he knew where we were going. And it was really organic, much like how he's designing Emberwind to begin with. And Nomino 4 Games at large, right? Oh, it, yeah. I, like I said, I went into that interview, you know, kind of expecting a standard interview. Tell us about the game. You know, what can, you know, how did you come up with it? And, Man, we went all over the place. Psychotherapy and and this idea of creating a game that once the engine's created, opening it up to the, the community to make it their own and, and do with what they want. And the, the idea behind the game being essentially a tool to get people together. If you're an Emberwind player, if you're someone that's supporting Nom Nomor Games, we'd love to hear from you. Mm-hmm. Like We'd love to hear your feedback on what your impression's been so far what it is you think about Nomnivore games and how that sets apart from your other experiences. You know, where where do they sit in your life for your tabletop games, gaming experiences, whatever it is. Like, what's this affinity and connection? Is some of the stuff we talked about with uh, Derek, did that resonate with you? Is that some of the draws to, to Nomnivore and to Emberwind? Or is there something else hooking you there? Like, I would really would like to know, and I, I think Derek would really like to know. And hearing his personal you know, really personal connection to this game. It was, it's, it's more than a business to this guy. Like it really, truly is. And I think hearing all that reflected, you know, as a player, did you already kind of expect some of those conversations from Derek or was some of the surprising? I really want to hear from you guys. I really want to hear. So yeah, like is some of that like more subliminal in the game or did you feel that, you know, while you were playing it, like, did you say, you know, there's something different here because of some of the things that he talked about versus just the, the mechanics being, you know, different or, or what have you. And we've got to play. We gotta we gotta get on the, this and, and play. We've not we talked just, to we just don't know enough people. <laughs> we've not talked to three people that have worked on, on, on this game or been been involved in it, so we've got to get on. You know what, let's let's hit up uh let's hit up the, the, the boys over at Critical Hit and let's let's go let's go over there. Let's figure something well, out. Well, I mean I've even said like, you know, that you and I and and my wife or and your daughter, a Grace, I'm sure would would play. And well, it'd be a good measuring stick on having someone that's 13 jump into the game. Honestly, and I had to look through it. I don't see anything. I don't see that being a problem. Her great her creativity and intelligence surpasses both of us, so we should true. be good. Specifically, no, both of those. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you're gonna try to throw me under the bus. I was there. gonna say creative. No, no, I was gonna say like one or the other. I'm like, no, no, both of those. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Yeah, this kid wrote a book already, so yeah, we're screwed. Yeah, so we'll we'll definitely <laughs> hopefully get onto that in the next uh, you know within the next few weeks or so, and and we'll definitely report back on, on it as well. But you know, it'd be awesome. Imagine we could play with Derek, with Jason, with Peter, and play their game. Well, one of them lives in. England. I know, I know, I know. We'd have to. Yeah. We'd figure it out. I don't know. I'm just saying. Well, you know, he's here for conventions sometimes, too. It'd just be a really interesting game to play with people that are that involved in it. They would probably know some stuff. Like, oh, did you know I put this backdoor broken aspect into the game that you did not see? And you know, I don't know. I just thought it'd be kind of cool. It will bring the Deadly Grounds coffee. We're just plug, plug, plug. Hey, listen. I, I went there the other day, and I picked up the new um, yes. St. Patrick's Day Massacre. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. I saw they've got one called... Um, uh, I'm telling you right now. After that whole taste testing, yeah, I have a new number one. Well, we have to do another it taste test. It. 
I, I can't. I didn't sleep well. I know. That was, we were not well. <laughs> hey, anyone out there that's ever uh, done a bunch of taste testing with coffee, how did you do it? I'm going to assume you spit the coffee. We didn't. We drank half yeah. cups at a time. Somebody tell us. Although I, I did get a lot of feedback uh, from people that, that listened and they were, they, I, it went, it went, it sounded like it went over well that, yeah. from what I'm hearing. And there's a lot of people interested in the coffee now uh, that I, that I've talked to. So so good. It was good. And it's I think so we, good. we made it sound tasty. Mm. And I drink. I drink a lot of coffee across this province, and I'm telling you, that shit is good. Well, we've gone way off topic from this episode, but... All of our episodes end up at Deadly Grounds. Are they open now? No. No. What, but I'm, I'm swinging by tomorrow. Thursday? No, tomorrow. Friday. I'm swinging by tomorrow on the way downtown, so... Um, okay, so anyways, um, you know what? Uh, that was another episode of Happy Seven Hank Podcast. It was a great interview. I mean, we really enjoy doing the interviews. It's nice when we get to bring that to you guys. Um... I think the next few episodes are going to be very Marvel-centric because we've got Captain Marvel, we've got Endgame coming, so we're definitely going to be engaging into that a little bit. There is an interview that we had um, with a, a mutual friend of ours from the UK. Still working on it. It's uh, It was it was three and a half hours long, people, <laughs> and uh, I made the mistake of volunteering to edit this, and so it's like Matt's teaching me a life lesson. This might be a bonus episode at, the, yeah. at this rate. <laughs> it, it's coming out. Don't worry. It's huge. It's amazing. There's so much conversation. It's under the world of esports, and so... It's great, and it's just so much conversation. And it I'll be honest with you, for three and a half hours, I'm going through it like I'm just cutting a lot of me out and yeah. leaving him. We might and, have to split it into two parts or something. Yeah, it really is. Two it's parts. good, and there's so much. He goes so down. Uh, Mike does his favors. He goes down these rabbit holes that are beautifully done, and he, he's able to correlate how this world of uh, video production, and, and I should say production because he's well past video production, of these esport event style events, and then we loop all this in. You see the stuff they're doing, and the the level of work that he's doing with this company it's it's nuts. It's absolutely nuts. And I, as I dig deeper into that after while editing it, honestly, man, it's just nuts. But so you know, stay tuned for that. Yeah, we got an interview coming out. Um, just taking his time. Sorry. Thank you for having your patience because this one you know took a little while longer than we uh, had hoped. I think it's probably been. Uh, a little over a month, probably between yeah. episodes this time. But you know, we're, but we're busy also, too. We're stoked too because we've got Captain Marvel coming. So hope you have your tickets. Uh, I'm sure, we're going to have an entire episode devoted to uh, Endgame. I can't at some get point. over I, I, both those movies. Are stuck in look. I, I really don't know where to put the priority tree on those two. I know Endgame is the Endgame. Both? I get that. We see both. But Captain Equally? Marvel is just yeah, it's looking so great. Anyways, and I just saw the final How to Train Your Dragon with my kids, and the first thing my youngest said to you as you walked in the house was that she's so upset because it's over. And my kids have lived through the start to finish of this, which uh, might be a neat conversation to have another time is that now we're seeing this generation start to experience these fandoms that actually come to an end. All right. Well, we'll get into that another time. Uh, so again, we would like to thank our guest, Derek Chung from <laughs> Nomnivore Games. I almost thought you were going to say sponsors, but we don't have those we yet. We don't have those yet. <laughs> we're so close. Deadly Grounds. Uh, uh, thank Derek for the interview uh, and for taking the time out for us. Check out Emberwin, people. Uh, yeah, so uh, Twitter, Instagram, at Happy Zen Podcast, Facebook, the Happy Zen Podcast. I'm, <laughs> I also am blanking on our social media. I love stuff. you, Salem, with a question. HappyZen.com has everything on it. That's the easiest one. Yeah, HappyZen.com has all the social media, all our subscription links. Uh, you can listen to the episodes there. You can subscribe. Please like and rate and review. We have regular people commenting on our uh, episode posts, which is nice. And I have people that have come up to me separately uh, in person and on my personal social media that have said they've been enjoying the episode. So 
Keep it up. Really? Yeah. Why well, so you say that? I mean, like, just that's awesome. Thank you, Phil. Yes, really in a positive way. Yeah, in a positive way. It's neat how they connect to you and not me. I understand, folks. It's okay. I hold no judgment to that. That's right. All right. Uh, until next time. We're out. <laughs>